You're listening to The Gary Harris Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. The Gary Harris Show. You see him host Tider Insider TV, Crimson Tide Kickoff, play-by-play for Alabama sports, and sports director for WVUA 23. It's time for The Gary Harris Show on your home for Alabama sports, Tide 100.9, and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Gary Harris Show. It's a brand new week, Monday, February 26, 2024. We're counting it down for this uh, for this month as February is winding down. It is a leap year, so we'll get an extra day in February. The 29th will be the final day of the month. So if you were born on a leap year, then you technically only have a birthday every four years so you age at a much slower rate of course obviously um in really reality you know you celebrate your birthday on the 28th or the first uh but this year if you were born on the 29th you get to celebrate it on the 29th how about that welcome into the program i'm gary harris justin jones my main man right there on the other side of the glass many of the controls taking your phone calls on the first domain condos hotline in this first hour at 205-342-9904 and we are loaded this morning we have a jam-packed show i'm gonna tell you all about it in just a second, but first, I need to let you know that this hour of the Gary Harris Show is being brought to you by Alabama Credit Union. Member-owned and not-for-profit, it's just a better way of banking, convenience, and savings make life better. Find out more about the ACU Lifestyle account at alabamacu.com. That's alabamacu.com, or get by and see them at one of their many locations around the great state of Alabama. Alabama Credit Union loans for real life. Some rules and restrictions do apply. See if you're eligible for membership, then join today and feel good about your money. And put a little extra change in your pocket. All right, as I said, jam-packed today. Rodney Orr from TiderInsider.com, Tider Insider TV at ten uh, at 9.30. Then at 10.15, Richard Hendricks from the SEC Network, ESPN, former Alabama basketball player, now a terrific college basketball analyst. He'll be with us at 10.15. He'll break down what uh, went wrong for Alabama and Lexington, which was just about everything, on Saturday against Kentucky. And can the Tide rebound on Wednesday night at Ole Miss? And then Saturday at home, ESPN Game Day is coming to Tuscaloosa Saturday morning at Coleman Coliseum. <clears throat> so it's going to be a big, big, big weekend. But Alabama now tied with Tennessee in the SEC standings. And uh, I'll say this. If you want to say that Alabama has, I guess, maximized their losses, they've lost three games in the SEC. All on the road. All three were blowouts. So they haven't lost any close games. They got blown out at Tennessee, blown out at Auburn, and blown out at Kentucky. And they're still tied for the lead in the SEC, so a lot to play for. But Wednesday night won't be an easy game. Certainly Saturday night at home against Tennessee won't be an easy game. <coughs> They've still got to go to Florida. That won't be an easy game. And they play Arkansas at home. So the schedule uh, guarantees Alabama nothing. If they're going to win the SEC outright or tie for the SEC championship, they're going to have to play. You have to play and going to have to play well down the stretch. But uh, Richard Hendricks with us at 10-15. And then at 10-30, Casey Smith on golf. So as I said, we're loaded. Um, in the next segment, we're going to have Nate Oates, post-game comments. He was very blunt <coughs> uh, following the game at Kentucky. He just said for the record, he said, you know what? Um, we've had some defensive issues, a lot of talk about how we play defense. Well, 
the secret's out. We don't guard anybody. Everybody knows it now. So, and they're an offensive team. They're built around offense. We know that. But if they're going to win this SEC championship, they're probably going to have to play better defense than they did Saturday at Kentucky. Justin, I don't really know what to say. There's not too much to say about a game like that. Um, Alabama, which leads the nation in scoring, actually exceeded their scoring average. So that's a good thing, I guess, from the standpoint that, you know, they continue to lead the country in scoring. But they gave up 117 points. And they scored 95 and got beat by 22. Now, very rarely in college basketball are you going to score 95 points and get beat by 22 points. There are a lot of teams that only score 95 the entire season. So the offense was still there, okay? I mean, when you look at the game, um, Alabama shot 56.7% from the field on 34 of 60 field goal shooting. They weren't great from three, but they were 6 of 17 for 35.3%. They were 21 of 27 from the free throw line. They out-rebounded Kentucky. But here's the story. Kentucky went 41 of 65 for 63.1%. Kentucky went 13 of 24 from the three-point line for 54.2%. Kentucky had 24 assists on 41 made field goals. So they were moving the ball and they were getting open looks. Now, was Kentucky hot? Yes, sir. You got to give it to them. You got to give it to them. <clears throat> they were hot. But was Alabama playing good defense? No, Alabama wasn't. They weren't closing out on shooters. The ball was faster than the defensive rotation, and Kentucky lit them up. But that happened at Tennessee, and it happened at Auburn. And every time it happened, Alabama bounced back. Now, they're going to be challenged with bouncing back on Wednesday night at Ole Miss, and won't be easy. Some other quick notes. Uh, Alabama softball sweeps the field at the Green and Gold Classic over at UAB. They win five games. Baseball sweeps Valpo. They're undefeated. Softball's undefeated. <clears throat> Women's basketball with a big win yesterday over Mississippi State. On the NASCAR scene, we had a photo finish, a three-car photo finish at Atlanta yesterday. Daniel Suarez, Ryan Blaney, and Kyle Busch. I mean, it was oh, 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 point whatever. Suarez, by a by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, chin, beat Blaney and Bush. <clears throat> Unbelievable race. Unbelievable race. And we're going to talk about that more this morning as well. So uh, we're, we're loaded right now. Let's jump out on the uh, First of Main Condos hotline, and Tom is going to lead us off. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Gary. Good to talk to you. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. That freaking drag race for 10 laps at uh, Atlanta yesterday was as good as it gets, does it not? Standing, it was fun. A lot of wrecks during the race, at, at times frustrating, but that finish was unbelievable, one of the best in NASCAR history. i tell you what. I, uh, you know, the Atlanta track has always been fascinating. It's, it's not Charlotte, and it's not the super speedway, and it's no restrictor plate, and it makes it a heck of a racetrack. 
Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting track, like you said. It's not a super speedway, but they run full throttle, which does make that it sure unique. Does. And uh, it also, as I said, there were a lot of wrecks in that race, man. A lot of wrecks. And uh, some of them were the fault driver error. Some of them were nobody's fault. And, you know, those cars uh, got, a lot of them got tight, uh, meaning that they couldn't turn the front wheels. And when that happens, uh, you're at the mercy of the of the track and the other drivers. So we had a lot of that. But I really thought, um, Ryan, you know, last week I thought that uh, Joey Logano was going to win the race until he got wrecked. Yeah. And yesterday I thought Ryan Blaney was going to win the race. And Cindric kind of got uh, off his bumper. And then the two Chevrolets, Suarez and, and Bush, were able to work together. But I thought Blaney said something after the race that was dead on. He said, Penske has brought the three fastest race cars to the track the last two weeks and haven't won a race. Now, he's right about that. The, the three Penske Ford uh, Mustangs have been the fastest in the field. Now, that doesn't mean there haven't been other fast cars. I'm not saying that. <clears throat> but I think he's right on that. And uh, for them not to win a race, it's very, very frustrating, although he came as close as you could without winning. But it was uh, fantastic. And in Suarez, a guy who's well-liked out there, 31 years old, uh, track house racing that's just his second career win and it was badly needed for him and uh very popular uh win i think among the other drivers that uh ryan drove a masterful race he did and, he's, he's really good he's really good him, if you if he has to strategize from the middle of the pack and work his way during the course of the day he is a much better driver. I, I, I think, though, I'm starting to figure out why. And it's because he gets the feel of the car. He gets the way air is flowing. In, you know, and that's important in track is figure out how the air is flowing. But, you know, one of the drivers, uh, I forgot who it was, said that, uh, you know, he said you, you would make one turn and, and, and your car would want to push out to the right. And you get to the next turn, and it would be pulling to the left. Yeah, and it it made it impossible. And and that's I think that's why you had so many wrecks because you know it was hard to figure out how that car was going to run from one turn to the other. And when you got that, you know, even for great drivers, it's a problem. And uh, but I thought Ryan, you know, the number two car is his teammate, and. Uh, and, you know, when they hooked up together, they were dominating out front. And then the number two's car, it went tight all of a it sudden. Did. He had to yeah. back out of it, and he backed up his middle. And by the time he worked his way back up, you know, uh, he Yeah, that cost, that cost Blaney the, the win. If, if Cindric doesn't yeah, yeah. get tight sure and have to back, like you said, Cindric's lucky, Cindric's lucky he didn't wreck anybody. But if Cindric's able to stay on his bumper, uh, the, 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 the 12 wins that thing going away. But what happened was he got separated, and he still, you're right, he still ran a brilliant race. He led that thing the whole, uh, down the stretch until, until right there at the finish line. He was able to hold him off. I guess the only thing you could have said, maybe he could have gone high and blocked Bush, but I still think that then Suarez would have really, really passed both of them and won easily. So Blaney held his line, and he got beat by what? A, a, a millimeter? I mean, as small a margin as you can lose by. So he ran a heck of a race. You're right. Here's what I think. I thought the ruling was that the front of that yellow stripe at Atlanta is the finish line. The very front, it's kind of like the goal line, you know? And uh, 
And I thought Ryan's car was on the front of that stripe before Suarez got there. Now, Suarez did have him by about two or three inches once they got to the middle of the stripe. But then on the front of the stripe, Ryan had it, I thought. Well, I'm going to trust their technology. You know, I'm going to I'm going to trust I, that with all the cameras and infrared imaging and all that stuff that they have, that they got it right. So I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to trust that NASCAR got it right. But it, yeah, you could with the eyeball, you could, it, you know, it was almost impossible to tell. I thought though that it was when that bumper touched the front of that yellow line. Of course, I'm trying to figure out a way for Ryan to win Yeah, that's it, you what know? I'm saying. You are. You're, <laughs> you know, so I, I trust that they got it right. But it was a heck of a race, time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was just asking just for the sake of conversation more than anything. Yeah. But I, I thought the ruling was if your bumper touches the front edge of that line, that, that, that it's in. Well, that's and, uh, the ruling. But I think they said that, you know, they said the Suarez <laughs> touched first. So. Well, yeah, maybe so. And I didn't see it that way. But, I, you know, I was wanting Ryan to win. All right, pal. So, yeah. Good stuff. Great race. 9-15, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Nate Oates. He's going to break it all down. And he, like I said, I love Nate Oates. He's, he's blunt. He's to the point. He'll tell you what he's thinking. And he did that after Kentucky blew out Alabama 117-95. to We'll have it for you next here on the Gary Harris Show. This season of Alabama football on Tide 100.9, brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse Casino. Just a few minutes away where you can be a winner, too. From the University of Alabama, this is Crimson Tide Today. It's daily update on Bama Sports, and it's brought to you by Dex Imaging, the official copier and printer provider of Alabama Athletics. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover. Following Sunday's win against Mississippi State, Alabama women's basketball head coach Christy Curry joined us on the radio. Just up and down the lineup, great contributions from this team. Yeah, I mean, you know, we knew we needed four and double figures and really challenged our five spot. Uh, but now I can't be, I can't tell you how proud I am of Gianna Essence and uh, Meg and the numbers they put together today. And uh, that one rebound and put back by Essence was as good as he made in the country. So she just continues to grow up. And for her to do that on a day with Jessica Carter, who, you know, and WNBA draft. I'm just so proud of Essence. And more importantly, our kids were just so resilient. The culture and the determination and just everything they were about today was incredibly special. I, I don't know if people understand, but Mississippi State's really, really good. And they're so talented. And for our kids to come out and just take control there in the third the way they did it, I'm so proud of I'll have more in a moment. Alabama's tradition of winning dates back to 1925 when the Crimson Tide defeated Washington in the Rose Bowl to finish 10-0 and earn their first national championship. The Tide has won 18 national titles, which is the most in college football history. At Dex Imaging, they also have a long tradition of winning. So if you're looking for a true winner in the office equipment business, contact Dex Imaging online at DexImaging.com. Dex Imaging, the official copier and printer provider of Alabama Athletics. Join us tonight for Hey Coach, presented by Alpha Insurance, live from Baumhauer's Victory Grill in Tuscaloosa. Our coverage on the network starts at 6 p.m. Central, with coverage also available on the Varsity Network app and a video stream as well on all CTSN social media platforms. Crimson Tide Today is brought to you by Dex Imaging. Crimson Tide Today is a production of the Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield. 
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A big warm-up today, partly to mostly sunny, the high 75. For tonight, increasingly cloudy with a low at 58. A warm day tomorrow, occasionally cloudy. A few isolated showers are possible. The high tomorrow near 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 59 degrees in Tuscaloosa. You see him on WVUA 23 covering sports and on Tider Insider TV on Tuesday nights. Don't miss a minute of the Gary Harris Show. Weekdays from 9 to 11 on Tide 100.9. All right, 918. Welcome back into the Gary Harris Show. Rodney Orr coming up at uh, 930. Right now. We're going to go uh, to Lexington, Kentucky on Saturday afternoon following the Tides' 117-95 loss to the Kentucky Wildcats. And hear from the Crimson Tide head coach, Nate Oates. This is what he had to say about it following the game. I mean, Kentucky was ready to play tonight. We weren't. Cal had his guys ready to go. I didn't. They looked great. We looked awful. Our defensive intensity was... Not that. I mean, we, I told our guys after the game, we've had question marks about our defense all year. Those question marks are uh, completely erased. Everybody knows that we don't really guard at this point because I thought our efforts stunk. I mean, we you know, part of the issue was we turned it over. They scored 29 points off our 16 turnovers, so you can't turn the ball over that much. Our starting backcourt had too many turnovers. We, we needed to do a better job attacking them, taking care of the ball. But, you know, we had us for giving up 16 points in transition, not including the points off turnovers. So you take the 29 points off turnovers, 16 other points in transition, all of a sudden you're at 45 points before you even give your half-court defense a chance to get a stop. And then once again on the half-court, I didn't think we were that great in there either. So, you know, and Kentucky shot the ball pretty well shooting. For the team that's supposed to be able to shoot, and they, they shot it twice because we did. It gave up 54% from three. We gave up 63% from the field. And any kind of decent defense was played in the last eight minutes when I thought the game was already over. And when I'm guessing Kentucky probably was coasting to the end. So there's not a whole lot of positives about this. The only, the only positive thing is we played well enough on offense through the course of the year to be tied for first place after that horrendous effort. So we've got four, four games left, and we got to try to figure out how to get these guys a little more motivated to play harder on defense. Right. Coach, um, do you feel that well, you knew that uh, Kentucky could run, there was a running team, and you all were a running team, uh, was there any thought in your mind that you may want to do something to try to, to try to stop them from running the calls in the middle of the first half? Kentucky started pulling on points, and you and your your passes weren't as pinpointed as they had been. Uh, and so, I mean, was there any thought about how how to change up the, the momentum of the game or the tempo or anything? Yeah, I mean, we, we knew transition defense was key to the game, and we knew if we turned it over, it was going to fuel their transition. So, you know, I, I didn't have a third point guard to put in that wasn't going to turn it over. You know, I'm not would have helped to have Latrell Wright so, but he wasn't going to make up 22 points tonight, but you know, he, he, he is shooting it better than the rest of our guys and taking care of the ball better than the rest of them, so would have helped to have him. That certainly wasn't going to make the difference and today we needed everybody to play a lot better, but you know, I'm not sure what else I would have done to change up 
I'm certainly not going to walk the ball up the floor. I don't know that that would have helped anyways. We turned the ball over more probably. So most of our points weren't, or most of our turnovers weren't transition turnovers. They were just careless passes, being careless with the ball, throwing it straight to the other team and pick and roll. You know, I'd have to go through all 16 of the turnovers to tell you all of them. But, yeah, I, I mean, we knew that they were dangerous in transition. We knew we couldn't turn it over. We turn it over and I felt like we had too many guys not give us an effort to get back in transition and get matched up and they made us pay like we suspected they would if, if we didn't do a good job. Do you think the defensive issues are fixable or is it just going to take perfect offense to have a chance in games like this? There's no perfect offense. It's gonna, I mean, we, 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 we gave up a 1-4-6 tonight. Like, I don't, yeah, like, best offense in the country. I don't know if there's many games in the country where somebody scored better than a 1-4-6. So, you know, Kentucky's a good offensive team, and they're, they were top 10 coming in the game. We know that, you know, Cal's done a really good job kind of fixing the shooting issues he's had in the past. You know, he recruited some shooters. They got some shooters, and he had some other guys today. You know, Justin Edwards goes 4-4, and he hadn't been shooting it all that great. But, you know, we let Dillian Ham, Shepard, and Reeves all shoot over 50% too. So, you know, he's done a good job getting the roster fixed where they've got good shooting to space the floor out. Obviously, they're better on offense. But, I, no, if the defense isn't fixable, we're not going to be able to win any big games. So, I think, I don't know that it's fixable to the point where we can be like we were last year. We are third in the country. That That's past the point of doing that. But, you know, maybe we can hold somebody to a, 1-1 one, one or 1-2 one, instead of a 1-4-6, and hopefully our offense is a 1-2 or 1-3, which that puts a lot of pressure on your, on your offense every night out. But our offense has been pretty good. You know, even, I mean, even tonight, it wasn't off. You know, if we take away the 16 turnovers, it wasn't a total disaster. But, you know, we were a 1-1-7. One, one, so if we get our defense, like, down to a 1-1, one, one, we'd probably have a chance. So I think there's parts of it fixable. Uh, some of it, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Nate, you mentioned Justin Edwards just a minute ago. What made it so difficult uh, to try to guard him in this game? It's, you know, been one of his best games since he's been at Kentucky. Yeah, he's 10 for 10 from the field. Shoot, he didn't miss a shot. I, I mean, you know, he's a guy that's big, strong, physical, and when he goes 4 or 4 from 3, and you don't do a very good job cutting him off, I, you know, I thought we gave up bad cuts and we just we weren't locked in on the defensive end. I didn't, I didn't have these guys ready to go well enough. But when a guy like that that's as athletic as him and play, like he goes four or four from three, you're, you're, you're in trouble. Matthew. Yeah, he was Ronald Griffin was only. All right, we're gonna come on back. So we want to uh, jump out on the uh, first domain condos hotline. That was Nate Oates, and uh, we're gonna talk with Philip here. Good morning, Philip. His answer on the uh, from that question from the reporter was was. Um, Amazingly candid, and um, he said it. You know, if if they can't fix it, they're not going to win any big games. And he's exactly right because you hit on it a minute ago. Uh, they've gotten clobbered uh, by by people this year, and they got clobbered by teams last year because of their defense. And uh, you know, I don't know if they're cut out for it because we don't really have a center that can dominate inside and protect the rim, and. And uh, even though Pringle got some alley oop play, alley oops the other day, that's offensively that's about the the all he can do really. He's not a shooter or anything like that, so it's concerning. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it because if you're going to make a run in the NCAA tournament, um, you know, you're going to have to guard some people. And uh, I think Coach is going to challenge them. We'll see on Wednesday night what they look like when they go to Ole Miss. I, I have a strong inkling that they're going to play hard on the defensive end. Now, they'll be on the road against a good team. Will it be enough to win the game? We'll have to find out. But I, I, I bet you he gets their attention uh, this week and uh, they play harder. But, you know, there's no, as I said at you know, top of the show, right now when you've got games at home against, uh, at, on the road against Ole Miss, at home against Tennessee, at Florida, still to play, um, theoretically you could lose all three of those games. So they better be ready to go. You sure could, Gary. And, and, uh, and you know, and we, they didn't play that good of a defensive <laughs> game. They did win, and they showed some composure holding Florida off the other night. Uh, but, you know, going back a little bit further than that, you have got that LSU game a few weeks ago when, when you know, Alabama beat them by a wide margin, but it was sort of like what Kentucky did to us the other day. It was a, a very similar game. They scored a bunch of points. But, you know, they, they've either got six games left, which will be, you know, the next four, and the first round loss in the SEC tournament, and the first round loss in the in the, in the big dance, or you know they've got a long run they can make. But in order to make that long run, which is going to be tough for this team, that's going to be a challenge. And, and I think the Alabama fans are wanting a lot more than just a a second. You know, getting to the second round this year. Yeah, I think they are. I think their appetite, Alabama fans' appetite, has been whetted with two Sweet Sixteens. Um, you know, two of the last three seasons, and and I think that they're, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think they 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 see this guy as a guy that can take them to the promised land, meaning the Final Four. Um, mm. And I do think he's going to get Alabama there. Will it be this year? I don't know, but yeah, there's some stuff they've got to they got to sure up because they can score. They still scored 95 points Saturday, uh, but it's just rare. Yeah. Like I said, you score 95 and get blown out, but that's what happened. And uh, they're lucky Kentucky didn't go for about 125 or 130 because that's what it like it was headed toward for a while. So as Oates said, yeah. in the last eight minutes, they actually played a, a little bit of right. defense. But you know, it's up to him to try to fix it. And it's up to those players to accept it and uh, and guard better. They're never going to be a. This is not going to be a great defensive team. That's just not their makeup. But they can play no. better defense than they played Saturday, and they're going to have to. Yeah, they're going to have to. If they've got any design, any ideas on on doing something really big, and that means advancing past the Sweet Sixteen, they've got to do better on defense. Or you know, there's going to be a first round opponent they play that does play defense and can shoot the ball, and you know. They could give Alabama fits. It could happen, Philip. Great points, man. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you. 928. We're off and running here on the Gary Harris Show. We'll take a break and come back with Rodney Orr from TiderInsider.com, TiderInsider TV next here on Tide 100.9 FM and 1230 AM WTBC, your home for Alabama sports. As much as Innisfree has evolved, it will always be that place to escape and have a good time. Whether it's for a game day weekend, to reminisce on college days, or to create new memories, if you're looking for a good time, there's only one thing to do. Head to the free at 1925 University Boulevard. And don't forget about the Lucky Lunch Meat and 3 special. Monday through Friday from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m., get a meat and 3 vegetables for just $8.49. Or for a lighter appetite, try the Lucky Lunch Soup, Salad, or Sandwich Combo. I'll see you at the free. Krispy Kreme. Life doesn't wait for when your finances are in perfect order. It just happens, but no matter 
matter what surprises come your way, Alabama Credit Union will be here to help make it affordable with great personal loans, mortgages, and auto loans. They offer an easy application process and fast decisions so you can stay focused on feeling good about whatever life brings your way. Alabama Credit Union will be here to help make it affordable with great personal loans, mortgages, and auto loans. Alabama Credit Union, loans for real life. Visit alabamacu.com to learn more. Some rules and restrictions apply. See if you're eligible for membership, then join today and feel good about your... Exclusive Old Colony Golf Course is an 18-hole championship layout designed by 1976 U.S. Open champion Jerry Pate. Director of Golf John Gray and fitting specialist Bob Montgomery are PGA certified. Mike Shivitz is the head professional and director of the Tuscaloosa Junior Golf Program. Call today to secure a tee time at the Tuscaloosa Championship Golf Course. Everyone can play. 205-562-3201. Old Colony is operated by... Never miss a moment of the action. Download the free Tide 100.9 app today. Welcome back into the Gary Harris Show. Gary Harris, Justin Jones. We're going to jump out right now on the First Domain Condominiums Hotline, presented by First Domain Condominiums, and welcome in Rodney Orr from TiderInsider.com, Tider Insider TV. Rodney, how are you? I'm doing well, Gary. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Uh, you know, you sense that everything's kind of settling in now. Uh, spring ball starts next week for Alabama. The staff has been hired, and uh, it just kind of feels like, um, you know, that everything's not that it was a rocky road, but the tra- transition period is ending and, and we're kind of going to get into a rhythm now with Alabama football and, and Kalen DeBoer. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I think obviously, uh, you know, anytime you have a transition and there just seems to be more change going on right now in college football. You know, they, I know a lot of people pointed to some of these changes that happened with Grubb leaving and, and, and Huff before they even got settled in and you know, some of the other changes. But, look, you look at Georgia right now, they've lost a couple of coaches here in the last week or two uh, to other programs or to the NFL. Um, I'm seeing more and more movement in, in coaches now. Uh, so um, it's not just been Alabama. But, you know, I think it's really important that they've got their staff together now and looking forward to spring practice. Starts in a week. A lot of quotes. So I, I feel like there's probably as much excitement around the program and, and, and how it uh, kind of unfolds over the course of this spring than there's been in a while. Yeah, I do too. Um, of course, the staff is, is in place. They're staggering the announcements of these hirings, and I don't – I guess they have a reason why, but uh, they've – they've now officially announced the hiring of Courtney Morgan as the Tides general manager. And that's a guy that, I mean, every coach has a right-hand man. And and I think it's clear uh, based on the history of these two and the as quickly as Courtney Morgan was brought to Alabama, he came in on the plane that Friday night with Kalen DeBoer, that Courtney Morgan is, is Kalen DeBoer's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think, you know, obviously he's uh, done a really good job at Michigan. Then, of course, he had a he already had a, uh, a connection, a tie to uh, Kalen DeBoer, and then he joined him at Washington. Did a fantastic job there, and you know, he's come in here with his feet running. You know, the moment he got off the plane, as you mentioned, and uh, you know, they're they're he, they've been making a lot of inroads across the country with prospects, but also, you know, there's a lot of other things going on. You know, you have to retain your current staff uh, in terms of, uh, I should say, personnel. You know, your current roster. 
Uh, you know, obviously they had to hold on to to the commitments that they had, uh, the signings, the guys could, you know, jump in the portal and a couple of them did, but overall did a fantastic job. And I know that Courtney Morgan had a big role in that as well. And then, you know, as you start to move forward, spring recruiting and go into uh, summer, uh, uh, the camps and all of those things, you know, he'll be right in the middle of that and certainly be a, a key figure in terms of, you know, the organization and, and how they manage all of that. Rodney, I want to ask you a uh schematic question because last uh, Tuesday night on Tyler Insider TV we were asked you know if, if Miller was going to have competition for the quarterback job and, and we said yeah I mean there's, he's going to have competition there's there's good quarterbacks on this on this roster uh, he is the leader uh, there's no doubt about it he's the returning starter he's uh, an all-american and Heisman candidate but my question is this just in regards and I know you've looked closely at what DeBoer did with Penix Jr. at Washington. Uh, how do you think Milrow is going to fit into this system with with Kalen DeBoer and, and, and Nick Sheridan? Well, I think, first of all, what they're going to do is they're going to look and see who gives us the best chance to win. I mean, uh, and what gives us the best chance to win. If Milrow gives them a better chance at winning and making some adjustments, having to make some adjustments to what they do, then they'll make those adjustments and go with him is what I would think. You know, again, they, I certainly haven't uh, spoken to anyone over there. That just seems to me to be common sense. I mean, you know, will it be the exact offense that they ran with Michael Penix? Probably not. Uh, they may have to make some adjustments. But if, but if Milrow's the guy and he gives them the best opportunity to win, uh, and, and there may be some guys there, whether it's Ty Simpson, Dylan Lonergan, Austin Mack, that can do what they, uh, and I say they, talking about DeBoer's offensive staff, what they want to do uh, may be able to do it more effectively than, than Jalen Milrow. But what if Jalen Milrow gives him overall a better chance to to win? Uh, because he's got a lot of experience. I, I don't think you can ever underestimate that. He's played in a lot of big games. He knows what it is to, to play under pressure. And so really, uh, obviously, he's an extremely uh, top-notch competitor tremendous athlete so whatever they can do to to help him I'm, I'm sure that if they have to make those adjustments they would but all that said you know I, I would just say you know look you know he's going to go into spring practice the number one guy but all the other guys are going to get their opportunities and I think it is going to be interesting to watch I, yeah, because I do think that those other guys Ty Simpson Dylan Lonergan Austin Mack are extremely talented gifted players so I think it's I do think there's going to be some competition Defensively, Rodney, um, again, and all defenses are multiple now, so I'm not sure what you call a defense um, anymore means that much. But uh, we do know that that Alabama is going to run a a four two five, and um, that's what Womack ran at Indiana. That's what he run as ran as the head coach at at South Alabama. What do you think the major differences will be in in the defensive scheme under Kane Womack as opposed to, to Nick Saban, what we've seen for the last 17 years? Well, first of all, I think, you know, Alabama lined up in a 4-2-5 quite a bit, you know, uh, which is a nickel defense is what Alabama called it. So um, it's going to be some similarities, obviously. I, I, I don't know that much about all of Kane Womack's defense, you know, in, in terms of uh, watching them play because I've never watched them play, to be honest with you. Uh, what I have done is I've talked to some high school coaches, college coaches that are very familiar with him. And, you know, they talk about the importance of the safeties in this defense and how, how they'll utilize them in a lot of different ways. And, you know, they'll be 
used in, in the box a lot, you know, more as linebackers, if you want to phrase it that way, in some, you know, of their scheme. But, you know, also they'll they'll have a lot of responsibilities, obviously, and coverages and all of these things. And the one thing that I – but the one thing that I do hear quite a bit and, – and, again, this is coming from high school coaches and college coaches that have that know the game, okay? And they talk about they, – they see this as a more aggressive defense in terms of – you know, that, that your guys up front are going to have a lot of opportunities to create negative plays, make a lot of negative plays. Uh, you know, the, the, the vernacular is going to be a little bit different in terms of the phrases that they use to, to identify players, whether it's a, a, a jack, you know, as we used to call it, or whatever the name is they're going to have now, which is, you know, they've got some, some different names. They, they have a, uh, one called a bandit where you have a guy you could utilize as a defensive end like a, a – Justin Aboibe, or it, that bandit could be a player like a an outside player, uh, maybe a, a um, you know just to use from last year Dallas Turner or uh, Chris Braswell. You know, it just depends on how they want to utilize it, it in that particular uh, scheme. But um, yeah, there's going to be some different names, and it's going to take you know a little bit of getting accustomed to. I think uh, you know learning all the different things that they do defensively. All right, I want to get back to offense because there's going to be a lot of, I think, um, attention on Chris Kapilovic, the new offensive line coach. Uh, under Eric Walford, who had coached a Joe Moore award-winning offensive line at Kentucky, I think if you ask most Alabama fans, they would tell you that they don't feel like Alabama's offensive line uh, played to the level that it should have, particularly this past season. Gave up a ton of sacks. We know about the snap issues. Um we know what happened down on the goal line against uh, uh, Michigan when the play got blown up. Kapilovic comes in here and uh, inherits some talent, but there also seems to be maybe some depth issues on this offensive line. Um, Ronnie, just kind of a two-part question. Did last year's offensive line disappoint? And what do you expect from this offensive line under Chris Kapilovic? Well, I think there was obviously some issues there on the offensive line last year. I think, you know, Caden Proctor was probably a little heavy at left tackle. Now he's gone. But, um, you know, I think that he was, once he started to come around, he, he did show improvement. Um, but he was really inexperienced <coughs> as a true freshman. And, um, you know, they, yeah, they had some ups and downs, but, but I think they did show some, some, some positives as well. Uh, I think a lot of those guys that you see from that offensive line, whether it's, Jaden Roberts or Tyler Booker, uh, those guys are going to be real instrumental, you know, in this team. Then you've got Parker Brelsford coming in as a transfer, as a center that maybe might be the best center in the country if you kind of look at the guys returning. Uh, Elijah Pritchett's a guy that's really athletic. This might actually play into his hands a little bit more. You know, we'll see if he'll take advantage of opportunity in the spring because he is really athletic. And I think this is one thing that they're going to have to be on this offensive line. You saw how mammoth they were, uh, you know, last year. They were going to this just massive offensive lineman. And I think now it's not so much about the mass, but it's about, you know, obviously you want to have size, but, you know, just have the feet and the athleticism to, to, to play in this style of offense that they're going to use. So, uh, yeah, I think offensive line's wide open in a lot of respects. I think, you know, the tackles, I mentioned Elijah Pritchett. I've heard a lot of really good things about, you know, Wilkin Formby, the local product, of course, is, is potential. Uh, some of the other players, Olasa Lennon, you know, we know about Miles McVeigh. He played some last year as a true freshman. Um, you know, Rock Montgomery on the interior. Uh, he's a guy that's versatile, could play center or guard. 
so there's a, there's a lot of players, and, and you know you had a transfer come in as a as a tackle, probably a right tackle, uh, Nicole Batran from Texas A and M. So young player was just a freshman there at A and M last year. Um, so they've got some guys now. Would it surprise me if they went to the portal at that position? Uh, you know, somewhere along the offensive line, maybe tackle. That really would not surprise me if they found an experienced guy they really like. Um, and then, you know, again, uh, in, you didn't ask about this, but we're th- since I mentioned the portal, the, the corner spot, I think that's going to be really important to, you know, uh, in the portal. Rodney, um, we live in a, uh, you know, we live in the times that we live in, but there's a lot that's changed in media in the last 10 years uh, with the internet, team sites. And, um, you know, there was a time when if you were in the media, you even if you were a beat writer for you, you tried to kind of keep things objective. But we live in the hot take society. We live in the clickbait society. And um, there have been a lot of media, whether it's from team sites that cover other teams in the SEC or national analysts that have just pretty much already come in here and just predicted the demise of Alabama football <laughs> under Kalen DeBoer. You know, I, I, you, you know some of the people that we're talking about, Rod, and I'm not going to bring their names up because there's no need, but um, there have been some who've already said this guy's going to be looking for a job in three years. Uh, I, I guess my question is, are you surprised by the attacks on Alabama football based on the fact that Nick Saban retired and there's a new coach coming in here? Not at all. No, man, I think it's, uh, you know, I was fully expected. I mean, first of all, you lose Nick Saban, the greatest of all time, and or, you know, certainly up there with Coach Bryant, you know, uh, maybe the modern time, if you want to say the greatest, over the last 40 years since Coach Bryant. But, uh, you know, with all that said, um no, I don't. I'm not surprised about it at all. Alabama's dominated college football. People are sick of Alabama. People don't like Alabama. A lot of the, matter of fact, a lot of the media, some of the media. I'm not going to say most, but some of the, those people making those comments in the media are actually just fans of other teams, other programs. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm not really surprised at that at all. Uh, what I look at more is how is Kalen DeBoer, you know, approaching this 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 whole situation and in terms of, you know, how he's kind of uh, accepted the role of coming in here and following Nick Saban. You know, I don't think that's been something that he obviously wasn't intimidated by. And I think that was one thing that Greg Byrne, when he was looking for the right coach, is, um, you know, who's a guy that can come in and it really doesn't impact him or affect him, you know, that uh, he's going to constantly be get those comparisons. or You know, that's going to happen. I heard it when Coach Bryant left. You know, everything Ray Perkins did was – heavily scrutinized. Now, again, talking to some former players that played back in that era, they say the one advantage that, you know, Kalen DeBoer will have, and, and a lot of people are trying to stir this up too, is that Nick Saban's going to be around. He's going to be available, you know, and uh, he's got an office there in the stadium. Uh, it, but but just to be able to lean on him, to be able to go to him, uh, you know, to, to utilize uh, his knowledge, you know, and, and the understanding that he has, of this whole thing, the program, the SEC, all of these things. So he will be there as a great resource. And, and you know, a lot of these players say, you know, just really wonder if Coach Bryant would have been able to, you know, um, continue on, if he would have – he was 
uh, preparing to be the athletic director, to remain the athletic director for at least a year to help Ray Perkins through that initial transition and how much it would have been helpful to, to Coach Perkins. You know, a lot of these players have brought that up. So I think it's really great that Nick Saban's here. Again, I know a lot of people are trying to make more of that than what it is. Uh, but it, it's really only what it is, Gary, in terms of, I mean, you, you know you know that there are certain people or whatever that are going to try to stir things up. Ron Orr with us from TiderInsider.com. All right, I want to ask you about uh, NIL and the ruling that came down last week. Uh, uh, a federal judge has ruled basically on on behest of the states of Tennessee and Virginia. Of course, this is mainly brought on by the Tennessee Volunteers being under investigation. Um, that the, the NCAA can't even force its own NIL rules. So really what the ruling says is that collectives, uh, schools can pay whatever they want for recruits or, or current players. Nick Saban said last week he'd like to be a voice for change. He stopped way short of saying he wanted to be a commissioner of college football as or anything like that. So on one hand, you've got people who want to see some rules and some uh, procedures put in place. And on the other hand, you've got schools fighting just to be able to pay recruits as much money as they want. Where Where is all this headed? Well, I think I think eventually, uh, you know, to save college football, uh, I, I think there's going to probably, and I, I don't know how it's all going to be done, but I, I think the leaders of college football are getting together now. I think you're seeing that with the SEC and the Big Ten. I think, uh, you know, and this is all about saving college football. Uh, now it's going to be different. I mean, obviously it's already much different. I mean, you're going to still have, the, however they're going to do it, whether they're going to make players, employees, uh, you know, sign contracts, uh, you know, still have NIL opportunities, uh, but but there'll be boundaries, rules. You, I'm sure there won't be whatever they do. You're not going to be able to just transfer uh, uh, immediately uh, to several different schools, I mean, over the course of a year or two. I mean, it's just it's pretty amazing the way it is right now. There are no rules, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, I, I do think, Gary, that we're going to see, and we're already starting to see these leaders kind of putting their heads together and, and moving in a, a direction to try to, um, you know, get a hold of this. I, I think that's the best way to put it, or the only way I can think of to put it is to kind of get a hold of where we are right now and, um, you know, create some rules and where everybody plays under the same kind of umbrella. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, in in twenty twenty four to see if anything uh, can can come about. All right, Ronnie, great stuff. I know uh, uh, the book is doing really really well, uh, bigger than Bama. Uh, tell our listeners how they can get it. Yeah, it is, and uh, bigger than Bama. It's uh, nineteen ninety five. You can order the book, uh, my book that uh, uh, with Ray Mellick that. Uh, we just uh, recently released. Um, you can uh, find it on rodneyor.com. That's R-O-D-N-E-Y-O-R-R.com. You can go to Crest Publishing, or you can find it on Amazon. Um, so, um, yeah, right there. And then, of course, tighterinsider.com. It's only $48 a year. Um, gives you all our premium information, but also our all-sports forum, where there's a lot of exchange right now, obviously a lot of basketball talk. You know, Gary, we're, what, uh, seven days a week from spring practice. I mean, it's hard to believe uh, that, that we're, we're already right on Kaylin DeBoer's start of spring practice. So, um, you know, we'll have some stuff this week on that as we preview spring practice. And, you know, next month in March, it's going to be big visit weekends, uh, you know, with a lot of 
prospects coming to town to visit Tuscaloosa. So we'll we'll have more on that as well. All right, thanks, Rod. Okay, buddy. Thank All you. right, nine fifty and. Uh, Hey, folks, or I should say folks, I'm really talking to, to you high school uh, guys out there that are listening, and I know many of you do. Uh, prom season's right around the corner. You want to look your best. You want to impress your date. You want to impress your, your classmates, and you want to uh, look your best because these prom pictures last forever, man. They really, really do. Five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 50 years down the road, you're going to want to look back and 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 say, man, I was sharp the night of my prom. Uh, you can make sure that you look your best by going to T-Town Menswear, T-Town Gallery, and the University Mall. It's just as simple as that. Uh, Tom and the folks there, they're going to hook you up. You know, you want to go conservatively and classic. They've got that look. You want to be sparkly and shiny. Um, however you want to dress, uh, Tom and the folks at T-Town Menswear, T-Town Gallery, and the University Mall can can uh, fix you up. So, young gentlemen, get by and see them today. Get ready for your prom. We'll be back after this. Patricios has been serving Mexican favorites like burritos, fajitas, and quesadillas since 1999. Their new location is at 4100 Owen Parkway in Northport. And, of course, you can find Los Tarascos in Tuscaloosa at 110 Skyland Boulevard. The bar areas feature big screen television so you can enjoy your favorite sporting events. Los Tarascos features daily happy hour specials. And for the best Mexican cuisine in West Alabama, remember, the name is Los Tarascos with locations in Tuscaloosa and Northport. <laughs> Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A big warm-up today, partly to mostly sunny, the high 75. For tonight, increasingly cloudy with the low at 58. A warm day tomorrow, occasionally cloudy. A few isolated showers are possible. The high tomorrow near 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 60 degrees in Tuscaloosa. You're listening to The Gary Harris Show. Oh Alabama Sports. Tide 100.9. And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, 955 here on the Gary Harris Show. A couple more minutes here in this uh, first hour before we close it out. This hour is being brought to you by Alabama Credit Union. Justin, uh, I had a ton of discussion about this back when Tennessee rushed the field against Alabama in 2022 and and it led to the uh, Jermaine Burton incident with a fan and you know some Alabama equipment was stolen off the off the sideline there were some more incidents that weren't caught on tape and I've been saying for some time I mean this is all fun and games until there's a brawl and I'm talking about a, or, or someone gets hurt um we saw a little incident earlier this year with, with Caitlin Clark from Iowa trying to get off the court. And a lot of people felt like maybe she embellished that a little bit. But Kyle Fubkowski of Duke, um, after Wake Forest stormed the court, he injured his ankle. And there's a lot of discussion again about what needs to be done before someone gets hurt. I have said before, in the modern world we live in, I don't know that it's safe anymore for court storming or field rushing. I, I don't want to be the old stick in the mud, get off my lawn guy. But I I think that, and I've said this for a couple of years, Justin, that 
at some point there's going to be something that isn't going to be something that we can just move on from. You know, there's going to be a student athlete is going to deck somebody or, you know, somebody's going to get seriously hurt here. I, 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 that's where I'm at with this. No, I, I, I think you're right. I, this whole situation kind of bothers me because I, I don't know if we're going to see anything change. I don't think the NCAA is going to make any difference in the rules. Um, like right now we know the SEC has the fines for storming the court, but the ACC doesn't. And also I've taken the stance – uh, like you mentioned, Caitlin Clark and a lot of people thought she kind of sold that a little bit. I think Kyle Filipowski sold it a little bit as well, kind of making himself a target to run into. The guy's almost a seven-footer, and he's reaching out his arms and leaning. Like, I think he could have done a better job to get off the court. It'll be interesting to see, though, because a lot of people are, are, are vocal about this. We might actually see some change for once. Yeah, um, I, I I do believe that as I said, it's all fun and games until it's not fun and games. And I, I don't know. I still understand the traditions of college football and basketball. I do. But I also understand that the playing surface uh, for players, particularly the visiting team that just lost, uh, they should be able to get off the court of the field without having to deal with this. I, I believe that. So we'll see what happens. All right, 9.58. That's going to do it for the first hour. It's been brought to you by Alabama Credit Union. Hour number two is coming up. Richard Hendricks, uh, SEC basketball analyst at uh, 10.15. Casey Smith on golf at 10.30. More of your phone calls. Hour number two is on the way. Keep it dialed in at time 100.9 FM and 1230 AM WTBC. WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles, here's Brian Fenley. Joe Burrow is happy to see it as his teammate in wide receiver T. Higgins, according to ESPN, is going to be receiving the franchise tag from the Cincinnati Bengals. The Arizona Cardinals official X account put out a post reinforcing that Kyler Murray is their franchise quarterback. There had been some speculation that the Cardinals were shopping for a new QB1, but this post certainly tarnishes that type of talk. Multiple outlets are reporting hot NFL draft prospect Marvin Harrison Jr. will be on site this week in Indianapolis for the Combine for the chance to mingle with teams, but will not take part in drills or measurements. And the Clippers reveal a new logo that they'll use starting next season when the team debuts in their own arena. The insignia is a head-on look at the bow and outline of a ship. Is switching. Now, this hour's West Alabama real-time news update from the Tuscaloosa Thread Newsroom. A GoFundMe account set up to oppose construction of the $350 million multi-purpose university beach in West Northport as a $100,000 goal. Alabama's second longest serving mayor has passed away, Tom Tart, the mayor of Livingston since 1980, was 69 years old. He died due to complications from a long battle with cancer. There is a low-end threat for strong thunderstorms, lightning, and damaging winds across West Alabama on Wednesday. Rain of less than a tenth of an inch is in the forecast. Get 24-7 local news coverage and sports updates when you download the free Tuscaloosa Thread app and sign up for twice-daily email newsletters. 
The Gary Harris Show. You see him host Tider Insider TV, Crimson Tide Kickoff, play-by-play for Alabama sports, and sports director for WVUA 23. It's time for the Gary Harris Show on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, hour number two of the Gary Harris Show right here on Tide 100.9 FM and 1230 AM WTBC. I'm Gary Harris. Justin Jones always uh, manning the controls right there on the Krispy Kreme Donuts Hotline 2 at uh, 205-342-9904. This hour of the Gary Harris Show being brought to you by my good friends Paul Patterson and Mike Comer at Patterson Comer Attorneys at Law. I'm proud to call them friends, and I will tell you this, just like me, I've needed their services in the past. And if you need uh, personal injury attorneys that do it right, you need Patterson Comer. Feet on the ground right here in West Alabama, I think that's important. Paul's in Northport at 205-345-1000. Mike, uh, or Paul's in Tuscaloosa, I should say, at 205-345-1000. Mike's in Northport at 205-759-3939. And um, if you meet with them and they take your case and you agree to let them take your case, listen, there's never a penny out of pocket unless they collect for you. And they'll be with you the whole way. And you'll be able to meet with them, see them eyeball to eyeball. And uh, they'll be patient because sometimes patience is needed. Um, You know, an insurance company may offer something right off the bat. And one of those big 800 firms may say, well, that's enough. Let's take it. Uh, Paul and Mike might say, no, let's wait a little while. Let's, 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 push for more. Uh, They can do that. They're here with you in West Alabama. And uh, I think that means a lot. PattersonComerLawFirm.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of services performed by other lawyers. All right. I want to talk a little bit of Bama baseball right here in this segment. And um, uh, the tide is off to a fast start. And again, the litmus test for uh, teams in the SEC is always the SEC schedule. I get that. That's 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 uh, where it all comes into play. Okay, that's the reality of what uh, of what you're dealing with. You don't know how good you are until you start playing in the SEC. But so far, Justin, listen to these numbers, and I'm I'm taking these numbers from Rick Penley, one of the Grand Slammers who uh, is at every game, and he posted this on on Twitter. It's phenomenal so far. Batting average in the SEC, 364, that's first. Hits, 90, that's first. Runs scored, 86, that's second. Home runs, 17, that's second. ERA, listen to this, 1.31, that's second. In the, and I'm talking about these are among the, the SEC numbers. Opponents batting average, 169, that's third. And hits allowed, 36, that's second. Now, again... I understand once you get into conference play, uh, you know, what does that mean? I don't know. But I tell you what it means right now. It means that Alabama's got a good team that has been dominant so far against its opposition. 8-0. And let me just run down these scores real quick, Justin. You can chime in. They beat Manhattan College 4 to nothing. 15-0, 15 to nothing, 11 to 8, a close one. They beat Middle Tennessee 6 to 1. Some of these are run rule games. They beat Alabama State 12 to nothing. And then against Valparaiso, 14 to 2 and 7, 13 to 3 and 7, and 11 to 1 and 7. They go to Regents Field tomorrow night to play UAB. So eight up and zero down. And they've dominated. Now, tomorrow night will be a, a nice little challenge over at Regent Field. UAB under Casey Dunn is a good program and a good team. And then this weekend at the Frisco Classic, they're really going to up it up 
uh, go up a level in, in competition. So we'll find out a little more about this Alabama baseball team. But so far, so good. I like what I've seen. Same here, Gary. I don't know what's more surprising, the job that Coach Vaughn has done so far or freshman Justin LeBron popping off the page off Phenomenal. the radio. Every time I've tuned into a game, it's he is on the field making a play, and I think it's incredible that we have a, a talent like that. There's only a freshman who's contributing to the team and helping us play so well at this And time. even though it's his last name, he's LeBron. So. LeBron, and it's... <laughs> Uh, Justin, you know, so I, I got a root yeah, for Justin. Yeah, no, yeah. he's he's been great. And the only downside so far has been Riley Quick, who is going to be a weekend starter in the SEC, going down and having Tommy, Tommy John surgery. <clears throat> now, he'll be back next year. And if you're going to lose a pitcher um, to, to a major injury like that, it's, you know, better to have it now so he has plenty of time to rehab for 2024 but that's been it but um, as i said a, a good ball game tomorrow night at uab over at regents field which will be fun and then this weekend in the frisco classic out in frisco texas alabama is going to play indiana from the big 10 arizona from the pac-12 dallas baptist who has a really um good program so they're going to find out a lot this weekend when you're talking about that type of competition on the road or certainly not at home there won't be true road games but in a tournament setting that's going to be a good litmus test for alabama baseball so you know because march 15th will be here before you know it and they're going to open up sec play in tuscaloosa at the joe against tennessee Another team that has all kinds of offensive firepower, like Alabama. So that's going to be fun. But I, I think there's reason to be excited. 25 years now since Alabama made it to Omaha. 1999 was the last team to go to the College World Series. This team has the potential to get there. I say that without any reservation. And one reason I say that without any reservation is because last year's team came within a win of going. They made it to the Super Regional. They beat Wake Forest once. And Wake Forest was a great team. So I, you know, that's, listen, that's what you want. There's no guarantees, but it's nice to know that you have a team that has the potential to go to the College World Series. Alabama has one. They have a basketball team that has the potential to go to the Final Four. They have a softball team that certainly has the potential to go to the Women's College World Series. Not everybody's going to make it. And just because you're good doesn't mean you're going to make it. But it's nice to know you've got a team, Justin, I think, that as a fan, you can look at that baseball team and I think you can say, this team is talented enough to potentially go to the College World Series. Now, will they make it? I have no idea. But I think this team, as it is constructed, has the lineup, has the pitching, has the depth to make it to Omaha. So much has to happen. You know, first of all, you know, you need to play well in your conference. You need to make sure that you not only go to a regional, but to be honest, you need to make sure you secure a regional at home. And it certainly helps if you play the super regional at home. Because you got to win a regional, you got to win a super regional just to get to Omaha. 
So I don't have to, again, say it, but I will. It helps if you play in those at home. You need to qualify for a regional first. So there's a lot of work to be done, but this Alabama baseball team, I think, <coughs> has what it takes. I feel good that they're going to stand up well in the SEC. Will they win the SEC? Now, that's a whole different conversation. I mean, you're talking about the defending national champion in your league. You're talking about probably a half dozen teams that are on, that on paper may be more talented than you are. And I just got through saying that Alabama's good enough, to, I think, in my opinion, to make it to the College World Series. But I'm also saying there's probably a half dozen teams that on paper even stack up better than Alabama does. So there's a lot of work. The good news is you don't have to win the SEC to host a regional or host a super regional. And you don't have to win the SEC to make it to Omaha. But 25 years is long enough, man. That's long enough. I, I Again, when this program in the 90s under Jim Wells, into the early 2000s, mid-2000s, you could have never, ever convinced me that Alabama was going to go 25 years without making it to Omaha. But that's what it's been. That's a quarter century. Time to, for that to end. I think this team can end it. All right, 10-13, we're going to get to the break, and when we come back, we're talking SEC basketball with Richard Hendricks. Looking forward to that conversation next right here on The Gary Harris Show. If you haven't already, you've got to try Tuscaloosa's unique breakfast, brunch, and lunch concept. Brick and Spoon, downtown Tuscaloosa, Timerson Square. It's fresh food with a Cajun flair featuring a full bar with build-your-own Bloody Marys and mimosas. Open daily, 7 a.m. until 2 p.m. Available for after-hours events, rehearsal dinners, receptions, and birthdays. They offer brunch and lunch catering. Call Brick and Spoon at 205-345-5551 for more information. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A big warm-up today, partly to mostly sunny, the high 75. For tonight, increasingly cloudy with the low at 58. A warm day tomorrow, occasionally cloudy. A few isolated showers are possible. The high tomorrow near 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 65 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Today for the Crimson Tide, local high school sports, and Bama in the pros right here on Tide 100.9. Ten seventeen. Welcome back into the Gary Harris Show. We got us some up tempo uh, basketball music. You hear this? At College basketball arenas and NBA arenas all over the place because we're going to talk with Richard Hendricks, former Alabama basketball star, longtime professional basketball player, and now has really carved out a, uh, a niche for himself as a college basketball analyst on the SEC Network, ESPN, in studio, and at games. And uh, uh, glad to have Richard talk some hoops with us this morning because it is heating up. March is just a few days away. Good morning, Richard. How are you doing? Good morning. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, always a pleasure to have you. First of all, just uh, your career, man. Uh, you know, you, you kind of just kind of started doing this not that long ago. And, man, you've just <laughs> you've blossomed, pal. I mean, I, I know you're thrilled with what all has come your way because of your talent, obviously. not just, you know, People don't give you anything in this business just because they like you. You've earned it. But uh, kind of a meteoric rise, man. 
Well, I appreciate it. You know, it, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I, I played basketball for a long time uh, and professionally as well for the last 13 years. And, you know, fortunately, just kind of fell into this opportunity. And, you know, I've been seeing so much ball for so long and playing it. I figure I might to talk about it. So uh, it's worked out. It's been a lot of fun. And I hope to continue to grow in the business. Well, you're doing you're doing great. All right, let's let's dive right in. Uh, this SEC, uh, the next uh, four games or so, is going to decide uh, the SEC champion. Obviously, Alabama. Uh, I said earlier this morning they maximize their losses. You got to give it to them. They've lost three times in the league, and they've all been blown out blowouts on the road. They got blown out of Tennessee. They got blown out at Auburn. Then Saturday at Rupp Arena, man, uh, you played there. You know, you know what what it can be like when Kentucky's rolling and uh, one seventeen to ninety five. Um, Nate Oates did not sugarcoat it after the game, Richard. He just said, listen, we don't guard anybody. And uh, I know he was frustrated, and Kentucky shot the lights out. But uh, And I know you weren't calling that game, but I know you've gone back and looked at it. What did you see from Kentucky and Alabama in that game? Well, well, well at first you have to give credit to Kentucky. This is a, a tremendously talented yes. team with a lot of depth. Uh, and they've been able to score a lot of baskets all season long, being one tied with Alabama 1-2 in the league as far as the, the most prolific offenses that you have. So um, – they're playing to try to improve their seating in the NCAA tournament, solidify themselves after some losses that they've had uh, slipping up recently, particularly LSU on the road in the last second and, and losing Florida early on in the game where they've had control. Um, these are games that now they're starting to show their strength. And Alabama, I think coming in shorthanded without the trail rights will uh, played a significant part in them not being able to keep tempo with this game, getting a little bit behind and then Kentucky putting the foot on the gas and finishing them off. But uh, a major win for Kentucky, but something Alabama's going to have to get back to the drawing board and try to correct some things. Yeah, because Alabama still controls its own destiny. Uh, the tide is tied with Tennessee at 11-3 in the league. Of course, they play Tennessee this Saturday, go to Ole Miss for the midweek game, then at home against Tennessee at Florida and wrap it up at home against Arkansas. That's a tough four-game stretch, but do you think Alabama, we know they can score the basketball. That's not an issue. Do you think they can guard well enough down the stretch to get a piece of this SEC championship or maybe win it outright, Richard? I think, I think it's going to be very hard for Alabama, and I've, I've said it several times. I think the back nine of this schedule mm -hmm. is something that's a major challenge for Alabama. Now, they were able to be fortunate in that game against Florida that they were able to pull that one out at home. But when you talk about you know dropping the game against Kentucky the way that they did, you have to only hope that that is not sting too long. Now, they've been able to bounce back from blowout losses that they had in SEC play early this season. But I think the key will have to be getting Latrell Reisel back into the lineup sure. and getting – some confidence from the guard position as far as his defense and ball, uh, his ball on ball defense and having a knockdown shooter and a threat to play off from Mark Sears. And also allows, um, it also allows Rylan Griffin to be freed up as well with not as much ball handling responsibility. So everything's all in front of them. I do think of the four teams, if you look at Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, and South Carolina, and you have to throw Kentucky, I guess they'd have five losses, but in contention to win this league, depending on what happens, Alabama has the toughest draw as far as schedules are concerned. Them in Tennessee as well. But the showdown on the weekend against the Tennessee balls will be critical, but you cannot overlook this upcoming game on the road at Ole Miss. They're struggling. 
But this is a team that has the ability to really turn it on. Richard Hendricks with us talking SEC basketball. Uh, the job that Oates has done, I, you know, I said going into the year, I thought they'd be competitive. I, I would have never dreamed they would be leading the SEC or tied for the SEC lead 14 games in. When you look at last year, they knew Brandon Miller was one and done, but you never expected Clowney to be one and done. They didn't expect Betty Ako to go. They lost those three. Quinterly transfers out. Burnett transfers out. Oates loses his entire coaching staff. And to come back, use the portal, sign some really good freshmen, have to bring in a new staff and to be in this position. I, I'm, I guess I'm saying this in case Alabama doesn't win the league, which, as you said, it's going to be tough. But it's, I think it's remarkable that they're even in this position, Richard. Would you agree? Well, I, I do agree, but I'm not surprised. You know, I had a chance to talk with uh, head coach Nate Oates back in October at SEC Media Days. And one of the main things he pointed out was that the two previous times that Alabama has won the SEC championship in the regular season, they were preseason selected to be fifth in the conference. Yeah. They were preseason to be selected fifth as well this season. Um, he's a tremendous coach. And I think he does not get the credit and the flowers that he deserves for what he's been able to do at the University of Alabama in this short amount of time. I look at what he's done, winning two SEC championships in the regular season and the tournament, getting Alabama the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament last year, churning out first-round NBA draft picks and playing a style of basketball offensively that people enjoy watching. He's definitely... You can't argue with his record in SEC play, but he's definitely cemented himself as one of the top coaches in the country. And I think this coaching job that he has, when you talk about three head coaches, or three assistant coaches, rather, that went on for head coaching jobs, you were placing two NBA first-round draft picks. You have several players coming out of the, the portal onto a new team. This is a coaching job that is deserving of an SEC coach of the year, and I think everyone should appreciate the job that he's doing to have his team in first place, with four games to go, controlling their destiny, it's a tremendous job of what he's doing, particularly in the landscape of college basketball when everything is under so much movement and you never know what to expect. So an outstanding job by Nate Oates. I think he should be congratulated, but uh, he has four more games and he might be able to do some more historical things here. Yeah, sure might. Uh, let's go around the league a little bit, Richard, here in the next few minutes. Uh, all right, uh, Tennessee's tied with Alabama. They come in here Saturday night. Game day is going to be here. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be an incredible atmosphere. Uh, I want to ask you, though, when you look at Tennessee and you look at offense, defense, 800-game winner and the head coach and Rick Barnes, experience, is Tennessee, in your opinion, the best team in this league or not? Well, I do think they are the best team. I think they're the best team because they have the attributes that you need to have a winning team in the NCAA, which is they have veteran play with three players that are fifth-year guys, uh, Vescovy, Jordan, Josiah Jordan, James, to name a couple. And you talk about they have an interior peasants with Jonas Adu, who's playing really good basketball. They have a true point guard in Zakai Ziegler. And they have many believe as the front runner for SEC player of the year and considerably even national player player of the year with Dalton connect. So when you talk about the, the, the veteran play that they have, the experience that they have as a group together, uh, the interior play and shot blocking, when you throw in Awaka as well as Jonas Adu, and you have a prolific dynamic score in Dalton connect who can save you in games. You pair all of that with the stingy and tough-minded defense that they play, and they have a team that is definitely poised to win not only the SEC, but to make it to the Final Four and beyond. Um, they have proven that they are a really strong team. Now, just as long as them, as well as Alabama, 
they have a tough last four games of the season. You talk about playing Auburn at Alabama, at South Carolina, and Kentucky. Mm-hmm. So the four teams that are at the top of the standings, they have to go through to try to close the deal. So it, it's a tough draw that they have, as well as Alabama. And you have Auburn, if you look at them flying right yep. under that radar with a, with a weaker schedule to go under to maybe get a chance to steal the SEC. But those are the two teams I would say, Alabama, because of their offensive power, um, Auburn, who does have similar balance and style of play like Tennessee, but maybe not as much talent from the guard position. But Tennessee is a team that I would give the slight nod over Alabama, Auburn, and South Carolina as the best teams. Now, the best talent goes to Kentucky, but the best teams, I would say Tennessee has a slight nod in the SEC. Richard, what an amazing year this is in the SEC. I mean, I'm looking at teams that I think have the potential to make a run uh, in the NCAA tournament. Obviously, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, Auburn, um, Florida. Watch out for Florida. Kentucky, scary with what they could do. I'm amazed at what South Carolina has done. I don't see them as a team, in my opinion, that can make a a deep run in the tournament. But who knows? I mean, is this – You've been around this league, uh, even when you played professionally, you tracked it, um, you played in it. Is, is this as deep as the SEC has ever been in terms of teams that have the chance to, to go deep in the tournament? I, I'm not so sure if it's as deep as it's ever been. Okay. I think that the SEC has always been deep. I, I think I can go back to when I was in college, my freshman year, uh, we go to the second round of the tournament. That's the year that Florida wins the national championship. LSU is in the final four. I believe we had eight teams in the NCAA tournament and seven of them won on the first day. So seven teams go to the round of 32. I think the landscape of the SEC has changed from a standpoint of exposure with the SEC network and ESPN. You have more high-profile coaches that are coaching in the conference, which seems to give a little bit more respect nationally. As also with other conferences like the ACC and Big East have had so many team and and, and school uh, realignment and movement, it's changed a little bit of the traditional matchups that people are used to seeing that made you look at those leagues a little bit more, as well as the Big 12 as well. So the SEC has kind of remained consistent, while other leagues have kind of come down when you talk about the realignment, the exposure on the national uh, level, where is it coming through, when I played, it was kind of more of a regional coverage thing in which you watch the game. And when you talk about the media presence in which that you can have your league promoted and now you're having higher profile coaches, probably headlined by Coach Cal coming over when he did from Memphis, higher profile coaches wanting to be a part of this league and now better players wanting to play for him being NBA prospects, I think it is viewed that is a better league. I don't particularly think that it's a better league than it has ever been. Like I said, in 2006 and 2007, Florida was the national champion. We had Tennessee that was a number two overall seed and won the NCAA tournaments, won the league. LSU went to a Final Four. We had a talented roster mm-hmm. that had NBA prospects and NBA players on the team that made a deep run, uh, a run in the NCAA tournament. Kentucky has always been Kentucky, even under um, you know Tubby Smith and 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 uh, Billy Gillespie as well. So the league, I don't think, is any better. I think it's a perception. That's just my personal opinion. Maybe a bias because I played in it in that particular time, and maybe they don't seem to give us as much credit as it was. But it's always been a strong league. But now uh, you get the national exposure and you get the respect that you should have been getting for years and years prior. 
All right, Richard, we've talked about some teams that we think can, you know, make a run in the NCAA tournament or, or shoe-ins to get in. A couple teams uh, trending in the wrong direction, uh, A&M and Ole Miss. And, of course, Ole Miss has got a chance for a huge win at home against Alabama. A&M in particular, though, these two teams, you know, they're kind of on the on the cusp now making it into the tournament. Uh, what are you seeing from them and what, what's gone wrong, particularly for A&M, which has lost four in a row? Well, I, I think for A&M, I, I think they have had, issues from the beginning of the season. I think head coach Buzz Williams did a better job of scheduling in the non-conference quality teams to give himself a better situation in the NCAA tournament as far as the net breaking is concerned. When you look at Texas A&M, in previous years, they have been one of the stronger teams in the SEC. Actually, it's going to back-to-back, if I'm not mistaken, SEC tournament finals going to the NIC final, um, winning double-digit games in conference but just not able to get it done in the NCAA tournament, mainly because they don't get a high seat. Mm-hmm. They set the table well for themselves this season moving into SEC play, but they have fumbled the ball uh, numerous times. I think because of a chemistry and continuity issue, they don't have the interior presence that they thought they were going to have in the preseason because of roster changes and uh, unavailability. They've had inconsistent guard play due to injuries, to Boots Radford and whatnot, and Wade Taylor has had to carry on a lot of the offensive load so you have to have more balance and diversity on your team to be good. You can't know that all of the balls are going to come from one guy. If everybody knows that, you're much easier to stop. And their inconsistent play has played a role in them not being as good. You move to Ole Miss, another bubble team. This is a team that has had talent. They have a new coach. And with the new coach, it's taken a little bit of time for them to understand how to be winners against high-level teams. And their non-conference, they were the last undefeated team in the SEC, but their non-conference slate was against weak opponents that they had not had any quad one, I don't even think wins, but quad one games. They didn't challenge themselves much at all until SEC play. And um, they've struggled to put things together, I think losing maybe six of their last seven in, in the last few games. But this is still a talented team. Um, you know, Alan Flanagan, Jamin Brakefield as well, Matthew Morrell. This is a team that as far as the guards and the wings, can be competitive with any team in the league. Their interior play is their soft spot. But if they're going to make the NCAA tournament, both of those teams, Texas A&M or Ole Miss, they're going to have to pick up their play right now. They cannot afford to drop any more. And they can't definitely afford to drop any teams, the teams that they should be should be beating. All right, Richard, I'm going to let you get out of here on this. I've been tracking Alabama basketball since uh, CM Newton era in the in the mid-'70s. Uh, you played, as you mentioned, on some really talented teams. Alabama's never been to a Final Four, but that doesn't mean they haven't had five, Final Four caliber teams. They have, uh, including 208 Oates. But when you look at Oates, you look at his ability to coach the modern game, the style that he plays, understanding that you're turning the roster over from year to year, portal, recruiting, all that goes into it. Um I mean, I believe he's going to get Alabama to a Final Four. If if not this year, he's just going to keep knocking on the door. What is your thought process on that and, and, and Nate Oates and Alabama finally getting to the promised land? Well, as an alum, I sure hope so. And, and I think that he definitely has a chance. I think that, that you know, the, the missed opportunity was last season. Last season was the year and a down year for a lot of teams, as you see with two non-Power 5 teams getting to the Final Four with Florida Atlantic and and San Diego State. This was the season that I thought Alabama could have also not only went to the Final Four, but won a national championship. Uh, They they dropped the ball on that one. But to see what Nate Oates has been able to do with the portal, with his coaching staff, with recruiting, he 
has the recipe to be able to do it again. You know, you bring in a player, Brandon Miller, who's a generational type that's ever played at Alabama, but he's been able to come in the second year without that and get his team in contention to win the SEC. I think he's knocking on the door. Me personally, I think that the piece to really make his teams something that can win six games in March and three weekends is you have to have a stronger interior post presence. Not necessarily change your style. I love to get up and down the court. But recruiting a big man who can play in the pick and roll, who is versatile defensively and can switch and do things that you want, block shots and rim protect. But when you play in a game like you play Saturday, when Kentucky wants to get up and down the court and get it off the boards and run, do you have a guy that you can throw it to on the block and change the tempo of the game and get you some buckets or some fouls or draw a double team and kick it out to your shooters. When you throw that into the mix with the guard play, four guards out who shoot from the perimeter, who can get into the lane and kick it out to other guys, you throw a really quality big into mix of that. Now you have a team that is going to be able to play multiple styles, win multiple styles of games against teams that play fast, play slow, whatever the case may be, and play good post-defense. Now you have a roster that I think can really take Alabama to the promised land. And that's not to be critical of the coach who's done a phenomenal, phenomenal job. I, mean, I would love to have had two SEC championships tournament in regular season in my time there. But uh, it's splitting hairs, but I do think, in my personal opinion, that's the one piece, that if he adds that to it, then Alabama can be winning a national championship. Sounds awesome, Richard. Uh, fill everybody in on where you're going to be this week. Oh, this week I'm going to be out of conference. I'll be headed to Huntsville. Not Huntsville, Alabama, but Huntsville, Texas. I'll have Sam Houston State taking on Middle Tennessee. Uh, so uh, it'll be a little out-of-conference matchup that I got uh, moving forward. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I won't be able to be at game day down in Tuscaloosa to check out the festivities. I would love to be there. But I'll be on the call with, with Sam Houston State versus uh, Middle Tennessee State on uh, ESPN. Well, we're looking forward to it. We're enjoying your work. And uh, everybody here in Tuscaloosa is tracking you, and you're doing a fantastic job. Thanks for the time, buddy. Thank y'all for having me. All right, 1036. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Casey Smith on golf next right here on the Gary Harris Show. Tune in. Covering University of Alabama sports, as well as the national and local scene as well. The Gary Harris Show, only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, 1039, welcome back in. Running a little bit behind, but we got Casey Smith on golf now for his weekly segment and uh, going to break it all down as always. Good morning, Casey. Good morning, Gary. Hope you're doing well. Doing great. Feeling a lot better, finally. Um, you uh, said last week uh, that the great thing about an event like the Mexican Open is that while most of the top players are skipping it, it gives you a, an opportunity to see some guys and develop some storylines. And for the players in the field, it gives them a chance to get a PGA Tour victory. That happened, happened for Jack Knapp. You sent me his uh, a story on him yesterday uh, uh, via text. His background is is unique. Uh, I think fans are going to gravitate toward this guy. He doesn't he's, He was a golfer. He's obviously very talented. It didn't take him long to win on the PGA Tour. But, you know, up and down on the mini tours, about ready to give it up, spend some time doing different things, and and even as a bouncer. And, uh, you know, but this this weekend, he shoots 19 under with rounds of uh, 67, 64, 63. A little bit shaky yesterday. Actually lost the lead for a while, but hit the shots down the stretch, a final round 71. And, uh, 
he gets a win, and I think people are going to hear more from this guy because, you know, he's an athlete. He's uh, a guy that hits it a long way. He he had some wayward shots yesterday, but what did you think of his performance and, and what he might could uh, uh, bring to the PJ Tour? And I say look out because I bet you Liv will have him in, his, in their sights pretty quickly too. What did, what did you see from Jake Knapp? Well, it's one of the guys, uh, congrats to him, it's one of the guys that I – Sort of was hoping we get a chance. If you, if you followed it leading up to this tournament, uh, he finished third at Tory. Got a great personality. Finished tied for 28th at the weights management. So he was sort of one of those guys I was alluding to um, off the radar for a lot. Not off the radar for people that are really following it. Um, played golf at UCLA. Effortless power, but that produces really big ball speeds. I mean, 190 ball speeds and the driver. Um, hitting it as long as any out there, and uh, seemingly just a great guy. Sponsored by the the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, uh, due to the former or the the owner playing around with him at his home club, and he never knew who he was. And and so, you know, years turn out later that they're now one of his sponsors. But the guy can really, you know, wide open course set up for him just to go full thin mode, hit a lot of drivers, and then he just produces a lot of birdies. You know, look at his, he shot 67 round one, 64 round two, 63 round three. And yesterday he was a little shaky. I noticed his girlfriend and parents and everybody, they were all on the edge of their seats. And, you know, I'm sure he probably got some of that energy from them. uh, Just trying to get it in and get that PGA, first PGA Tour win that unlocks so many other things. You know, one one a million and a half. He'll have a lot of people giving his sort of look and flair, trying to sponsor him. Uh, I remember, I mean, his deals are very, he's got some deals, but they're all very minimal. Um, and, you know, now he's in every event going forward. He's obviously got a lot of talent, and he's somebody, hopefully, that, that you know, fans will get to see and learn a lot. Yeah, he was a bouncer just a few years. He's 29, so it's not like he's a rookie rookie. Right. But he ran out of money in, 20, in 2021, and he knew he could work nights at a club. He could, you know, practice during the day, and so he uh, used some of that money that he made to get himself back onto the Canadian tour. And then, what I even found more interesting is last year, when he was getting his got his Corn Ferry Tour card, he earned last year. He had four starts, uh, and you know, everyone, you're going to go take all those four starts if you only have four starts. He was so confident in his game that he would advance and get more starts based on the starts he had. His brother had a baby, and he was going to get to be an uncle. And so he only used three starts. So in those three starts, he parlayed that into earning his Corn Ferry Tour card to now having a PGA Tour card. Pretty wild story, uh, you know, sort of the persevere, never give up story. But there's also a lot of talent there. Yeah, there is. And, um, again, it, it speaks to the depth of the, the PGA Tour, even with Liv. There's still some really talented young players. The Alabama contingent was pretty well represented. Um, you can you can go over some some of the guys that made the cut. But I want to ask you about, about Davis Riley because you've told me since we've been talking that Davis has got the game. He's got the ability. And he did win a PGA Tour event last year, the, the partner event in New Orleans. But since that time... He has really struggled, and he misses the cut in a field where you would think he would be one of the guys that would have a chance to win this event. What's going on with him? You know, there's a lot of unknown there. Um, he, he He's definitely well thought of, well liked. Golf swing looks very sound. 
So there's something going on. Uh, I don't know if there's an injury there. I'll, I will actually do some some digging to see if there might be. But I mean, it, I'm shocked as you are. Someone I wrote down, you know, again today, it's his, um, you know, his FedEx Cup rankings slipped down to like 149th, and his overall World Golf ranking. If any time you should be really ranked high, it's 189th because they don't really count live there, and uh, he's going to have to he's going to have to go back to the drawing board he's making he's making a lot of um you know, and that's that's a golf course that's just set up just to make a ton of birdies yeah and he bogeyed four out of his first five holes to begin round one and so put himself on the eight ball knowing you just got to start you know especially those scores early on it did come back a little bit yesterday but you don't make the cut and uh and then he you know i've noticed the last couple of rounds he's had some really timely bogey double bogeys so it's obviously Something going on there, uh, golf swing wise or confidence wise, and um, you know if you're making those type of scores, usually that's a swing here and there, which leads to you know, confidence as well. So hopefully he can get it figured out. That's somebody that I sort of put a star beside this morning when I was looking through everything, in addition to just to trying to see why and what with him because they don't show a ton of it. Um, he's he's played in six events and he's only made two cuts, mm. so. He's missed four, which is not great, and he'll be back in the field this week. So maybe this is getting it back in the south there. It's the Cognizant Classic, which used to be the Honda Forever, um, which there'll be, you know, a lot of the Bama players need to really get going there. You won't see uh, Justin Thomas in the field. Uh, You'll see uh, most of the others are all going to be in the field. And, uh, and, and, and so will Nick. Nick Dunlap will be back in the field. Only really one big superstar in the field this week, Rory McIlroy. Uh, and then, you know, as a little quick rundown from this past week, Wilson Furr finished 38th and Robbie Shelton 60th. Uh, Pat Desire and Davis missed the cut. So not as much. we still got a little bit of a yawner period this week. The Honda, when it changed, um, sponsorship and over to cognizant some of the players it wasn't really considered as big of an event players like to play three weeks in a row max uh and so you are going to see rory because they go honda then they go to bay hill which is a signature event then they have the players which obviously is so you got some of those guys doing that some will skip trying to get ready to get two in and then the major uh our, our major season starts coming up around so they're all trying to really peak for you know, probably players, they really want to play well, Bay Hill and players, and and then obviously the major season. So, uh, And then Live Golf kicks back up at Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, you know, obviously the flagship location for this tour. And they have a, another big splash coming. Anthony Kim, who was the uh, – made his name on the 20, 2008 Ryder Cup team at age 23, came out and dominated Sergio and led the U.S. to a first win in like nine years. He was as hot as anybody in golf, stepped away in 2012 due to injuries, and he had a, um, a tax-free insurance policy that if he ever played again, he would have to pay back, which paid out after 10 years. So it paid out in 2022. I heard it paid like $18 million tax-free. And now he is going to make his debut this week in at Live. They announced it today. Uh, they've obviously paid him because if he plays golf, he has to pay that back. So they obviously compensated him. He's going to play as an individual first couple of events, I think, and then he's going to you know, go over to a team. But for golf in general, I think it's exciting. Um, Anthony Kim was someone who was uh, well-liked 
Uh, he was a needle for fans. He was just oozed with talent, just so much talent. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, hopefully my thoughts are no one loves the USA more than him. And if they can get this to merge back together, it sure would be cool to see him get back in the red, white, and blue for a Ryder Cup. I mean, he, he's as talented as there is out there. It'll be interesting just to see where his game sits today being off that long. But, you know, it, it, it can be like riding a bike at times. You know, I know some of it's a little bit sharpness and, and reps, but uh, he had that type of ability it won't take long, I think, to get his fields back. Uh, but another splash by Liv, and Liv also announced that they were they were trying to get Hideki Matsuyama, so they've come out in that. So they're basically trying to continue to add to their uh, roster, which I think it, it basically in turn uses the gains all the leverage, right, to get a deal done even more so. I think their goal is to get a deal done, and one way you can get a deal done is if you just keep taking the talent. Eventually, someone folds and says, yes, we're in. We want to get this deal done. So golf's still a mess. Uh, it's sad because it's, it's a yawner on both sides right now because all these players aren't together. The major ratings will be through the roof. And, you know, golf participation still at an all-time high. So uh, it's an interesting time in the world of golf. Yeah, it is. All right, before we close it out, uh, we talked about Alabama men's golf last week, and they opened up at the Water Sound Invitational, terrific tournament down there uh, in the Panhandle of Florida, and uh, got a 10th place finish, a top 10. I think it's kind of what you said Only last week. Only 12 teams. They're, they're going to be, huh? Only 12 teams. I know. <laughs> Try to be positive. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think it is what we talked about. Without Nick Dunlap, they're just, uh, you know, and listen, he had to do what was best for him, but it really – yeah, you can't overcome those. Really you can't, you can't, it, it is. Yeah, it, yeah it, 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 it did. And it, it's, I was thinking maybe they can, they would still be that good. And they may still be if you really dive in. Cannon Claycomb, who is the leader and a great player, and it is golf. He had 12 birdies and led the team in birdies, but he didn't have his best event. She finished 45th. Some of those, couple of those bogeys go away or doubles. You know, that 45th is the top 10, which moves Alabama into – it's all in college golf. It's just so fractional, right? When you're doing the five count four, you, you, you know, they got a great event out of Thomas Ponder, which is awesome. He finished fourth. And if he can keep doing that and Clayton does as normal, they will be competitive, but Vanderbilt wins and where they had to match Vanderbilt was Dunlap, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that, they just got extra score that you got to get counting. And that's why it's so great to have five players playing good instead of four. And they're almost in a four count four scenario right now until they can get one more guy playing well and then they got to get their top guys also playing well but i have i think i could hear it in your voice and you know as well i mean i just think it's probably after seeing that and seeing what the other teams are able to put up there it's probably hurt alabama really badly for this year but the good news is they open a brand new facility big time recruits coming in which should lead to a really big you know, going forward, this is they have the best facilities. They're recruiting at the highest level, and um, I think you'll you'll see Alabama golf bounce back. That's right. That's right. Great stuff as always, Casey. I know that uh, get some comments on the segment. Uh, if people want to uh, give you a follow on X, uh, give them. Uh, yeah, Smith Casey Ten, Smith Casey Ten. Appreciate y'all listening and uh, follow along. Thanks, buddy. All right, it is uh, 10.52, the YMCA of Tuscaloosa. And I'm listen, I have been out for three weeks because, as you know, if you listen to the show, I had the flu, and then I have struggled to get well from this 
post-viral uh, cough and the post-nasal drip and all that stuff. But I've turned the corner. I'm feeling a lot better this morning. And as soon as I'm 100%, I'm back in the Y. I can tell you that right now. Join me at the YMCA of Tuscaloosa. It's a great facility. You can get fit. You can do it with people that are terrific. And you make some relationships, too, business-wise and in the community. So uh, the YMCA of Tuscaloosa, 2300 13th Street. Get by and see them. Uh, they'll give you a tour, uh, personal training, fitness classes, daycare. They got it all at the Y of Tuscaloosa. We'll be right back to wrap up the show after this. 2011 Billy Sports Grill, located on Main Avenue in historic downtown Northport, has been serving their legendary signature chicken sandwich, award-winning wings, and handcrafted cocktails. Billy's is also the spot to watch all your favorite sporting events with big screen, high-definition televisions, both dining rooms, at the bar, and outside on the beautiful patio. Come by and say hello to Kim and Lisa, the Billy's management dream team. Billy's good food, good friends, and good time. Is switching. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A big warm up today, partly to mostly sunny, the high 75. For tonight, increasingly cloudy with the low at 58. A warm day tomorrow, occasionally cloudy. A few isolated showers are possible. The high tomorrow near 80. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Did you miss any episode on Tide 100.9? Don't worry. All of our shows can be found on Spotify and Apple Music and on demand on the Tide 100.9 app. All right, 10.56, perfect timing as we're coming back just in time to uh, wrap it up. And uh, this hour has been brought to you by Patterson Comer, Attorneys at Law. All right, good show today. I want to thank Rodney Orr, Richard Hendricks, and Casey Smith for joining us tomorrow. Uh, Drudy Arman, the Rocket Man, talk some ball. And uh, we'll have some other guests for you as well. Catch me on TV tonight with your local sports on WVUA 23 News. And as I said, back here tomorrow for the Tuesday edition of the uh, Gary Harris. So I want to thank Justin, as always, for his terrific work. And uh, we're done, and we will get out of the way and let you uh, listen to T-Town Sports Daily from 11 until noon, the Miller's Edge, noon until 2, and then Fowler will take you home with the game this afternoon from 2 until 6. For Justin, I'm Gary. Have a great day, everybody. I'll talk to you again in the morning.
for listening to The Gary Harris Show on your home for Alabama sports. You know! Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.